Hi, this is Ken Robinson. Get ready for a great conversation. But remember, every Tuesday, there's a new edition of Audio Antiques from the K-Rob Collection, featuring highlights from the golden age of American radio on many of these same podcast platforms. Welcome to Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. As the popularity of smartphones continues to grow, a survey indicates that a lot of homeowners have a few uneasy questions about that technology. Also, businesses beware. Hackers are trying to get into your bank account. Cops are using technology to track your vehicle. Plus, kids and robots. It's all coming up right after this break. Credit card is handy, whatever you'd like to buy. Simply take your card of credit and go get it. Use your credit card to purchase the hottest, most fashionable t-shirts on the scene today. Quality premium t-shirts from Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing at plclothing.store. Based in Scottsdale, Arizona, Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing features the most distinctive t-shirts ever imagined. That's because Panoramic is a vision that moves in all directions. So use your credit card and check out the exclusive collection at plclothing.store. That's plclothing.store. A credit card is handy, whatever you'd like to buy. Simply take your card of credit. The number of internet-connected smart homes is spreading with increased home monitoring and digital assistants listening to our every word. But not everyone is comfortable with that, according to a new survey by A Secure Life. They are a security firm that tests products and conducts exhaustive research on technology. Joining us now is Victoria Morinda, researcher, and Andrea Harvey, research and communication specialist, for asecurelife.com. Victoria, let's start with you. What exactly did your survey reveal about consumers and smart home technology? Yeah, so we kind of did a survey. Um, We were originally looking at kind of what people believed about home security and then, and also like tech security. And we were kind of trying to look at these myths that people believe and see if they believe them or not. But As we did the survey, we kind of found some really interesting results about there's kind of like a really big distrust of this technology. And even though people don't trust it or they think someone is monitoring them through their home security system or through their smart technology, they still use it. So it was kind of interesting to look at um, kind of people's feelings about it, but then also the fact that they still use it every single day. Absolutely. Now, I guess uh, a lot of people use Alexa. And uh, according to your survey, one in five Americans uh, are okay with letting Alexa watch their kids, even though they may have some security concerns. Is that true? Yeah, Yeah, it was kind of funny. That was kind of a question we threw in there. We didn't really know uh, what that would come back with. And we were surprised by how many people said they would use um, or let Alexa kind of babysit or entertain their kids um, if they were gone. 
Uh, was there anything that you wanted to like add? Yeah. Um, another thing that was interesting is we did this survey right before that news came out about um, the Amazon employees listening to the recorded conversations. And so I would be curious to do the survey again after that news has gone out, but I don't know, part of me thinks that it wouldn't change that much. <laughs> I think that the thing that stood out to me is that people don't really aren't don't seem too concerned about that. Yeah, it seems like uh, they're not too concerned about businesses listening in, but they are worried about criminals and, and hackers and, and those kinds of uh, folks listening in. Yeah, right. Like it's yeah, it's kind of funny because. Most of the people we surveyed, I believed, thought at least someone was listening, whether it was criminals or um, a business or even the government. But it's kind of funny that people would still leave their kids um, in the presence of just Alexa, maybe knowing that someone else was listening. Well, give me a few uh, stats. So what percentage of uh, you know, people are concerned about uh, this kind of technology and uh, what percentage people aren't concerned? Um, so I think we found... A quarter of Americans aren't concerned about being monitored online by any criminals. Um, and then we also had some stats on, yeah, so we found that Americans are more concerned about being monitored online by the government than by businesses, which I think is interesting because I know when I'm scrolling through Facebook, if I search like one thing like a week ago, it will just give me ads for that one thing for like weeks. And so to me, I kind of feel like businesses are monitoring me personally, like a lot through social media or what I say to my friends or through Messenger or anything like that. So I think that's pretty interesting that people are more concerned about um, being monitored by the government than by a business. Yeah. So about one in three Americans uh, think their smart devices are recording everything they say all the time? Yep. I know. Um just from my friends and my teammates when we were writing this survey question, they were saying, yeah, of course they do. Because you talk about something um, just casually to your friend and your phone happens to be in the room and then suddenly you're getting all these ads for something the next day. But I don't know. I was pretty skeptical about this one. But after the Alexa thing came out, I now I'm a believer. <laughs> I think it's really interesting because there's so many different kinds of smart devices, like obviously phones, but also you can have like smart thermostats or smart um, smart TVs. Like I'm pretty sure Samsung has had a bit of, I can't remember if they confirmed or denied it, but I think there were some people who believe their smart TV was listening to them. Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see kind of what the perception people have. And I also feel like a lot of these companies won't really admit either way if they are listening. Yeah. Well, what, do you think most most people are really okay with that? It, it seems they have some apprehension, but are they really okay with it? Um, we did have a question on our survey that was something like, have privacy concerns ever stopped you from using an app? Do you remember what the... Yeah, we had a question that was yeah along the lines of, you know, have has the idea of being monitored or listened to ever stopped you from um, using... A, a device or an app or maybe even buying something online. Um, I, I definitely think um, smart tech is one of those things that like we all kind of know it's listening or it's reading what we're saying to each other, but we also can't live without it. So it's kind of like where, where does the consumer get to draw that line of 
well, maybe I don't want my phone to listen to me or maybe I don't want Alexa to listen to me, but there's not even an option to go in and turn that off. Yeah, because I'm concerned too, but I would never just stop using my phone. To me, having a phone is worth it, even though yeah. I don't really like my apps tracking me or listening to my conversations. I'll deal with it because I need a phone. <laughs> so I guess it's a convenience factor. We're, we're, we're so used to it now and we're so... Uh, we depend on it so much that we we're really t- we're willing to make that trade off. Huh? Yeah. Now, according to uh, your survey, seventy five percent of Americans believe a smart home can be hacked. Now, that's a lot. <laughs> that's got to be a major concern, right? Right. I kind of think about things. I don't have any smart home devices, but I kind of think about, I had a co-worker here who said that her smart locks like locked her out the other day and she couldn't get into her house. And um, also like her smart thermostat was being kind of wacky and kind of just doing what it wanted to do instead of what she was asking it to do. So it's kind of interesting to think, what if I did get locked out of my own house? Or what if someone was able to hack the security system and turn it off and then they would come in and like burglarize uh, the home. So it's kind of interesting to think that something is kind of like important as your home safety or your home security. The fact that so many people think that that could be hacked. I wonder if, um, you know, that stopped people from buying those systems. I know that we um, referenced a report from Statista that found that smart devices like that's growing and they're selling a lot and more and more houses are having them having those systems yeah your survey indicates that about 33 percent of households have some kind of smart home technology that that number will probably grow and Mm -hmm. with it uh these concerns might grow as well how does this uh what do you think about uh, the future as far as uh, the growth of uh this type of technology Right now, a lot of people have this mindset that it won't happen to me until they hear about someone, you know, they know personally who it's happened to. And so that's that's kind of sort of the goal behind these pieces that we do is that so many people have no idea how destructive, you know, <laughs> um, hackers and identity thieves and you know, stuff like that can be until it happens to them. And they don't know also how likely it is. Apparently they might know how easy it is, but they just don't think that it's likely that it'll happen to them. Mm-hmm. So I think as more people start to get smart technology and, it, you know, it gets cheaper and more of the norm to have, I think that hopefully these companies who make them will start addressing these concerns but honestly, I don't see it stopping anytime soon in terms of people purchasing them and using them every day. Now, what uh, what myths about these devices did your uh, Secure Life uh, survey uncover? Yeah, so I think a lot of them. Um, I think a lot of the myths we asked about was kind of like, who do you think is monitoring you, um, and who? Yeah, like who do you think is monitoring you? Do you think it's more the government or criminals or businesses? Um, and like Andrea kind of mentioned. We also asked them about um, cybercrime and hacking and we sort of like, for example, we asked them about if they're concerned about being monitored online by criminals. And then as it says in the report, like 23%, which is like a quarter of um, households in the country had been victimized by some kind of cybercrime. So we kind of were asking about that difference between, um, like we mentioned, like perception 
of something that could happen to them versus how much it happens and if they're worried about that. I understand women are more concerned about security than men in in these kinds of cases, really, according to the survey. Yep. Um, A couple of the questions we asked were, like one of our questions was, what would you rather do for a month? Change all your passwords to 1234 or stop locking your doors for an entire month? Um, And there was a very clear... Men mostly said they would rather, you know, unlock their doors for a month, and women were the opposite. And same with um, the questions that involved identity theft versus, like, a a burglary. So I think, I don't know, us being women, we thought that it probably had something to do with the fact that women are just, you know, more vulnerable when it comes to safety, but... Yeah, there was a very clear distinction there that we thought was pretty interesting. Well, what's the, what's the best advice, uh, seeing that a lot of people don't have smart technology, you know, with 33% uh, having it in their homes? What's your best advice to people that are looking to continue to use this technology or looking to adopt it? If they're looking at smart home technology, definitely talk to your home, your smart home Um, system or security provider um, about the different privacy features and stuff like that because each system and each um, device honestly has different features and different ways that can make them vulnerable to hackers but I mean I wouldn't I think that people people overestimate how easy it is Um, a lot of these systems have protections and a lot of times it just is a matter of making sure that you're changing your passwords often and you're not using passwords that are really easy. <laughs> but it, it it's different for every device, so it really depends. And the same goes with devices like phones and stuff like that. You just have to be very conscious of, of your security and how much you're changing your passwords. And you have to, you know, read those, read the fine print sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I think just being the most informed consumer that you can be. Um, Obviously, like I've said previously, we don't always know what these companies are doing exactly or listening to, but just being the most informed uh, consumer you can be and also knowing what to do if you are hacked or if you are a victim of a cybercrime, you can often report that to the FBI and they take it seriously. So just knowing sometimes it's a numbers game and you just happen to be the person that was hacked. and just knowing that it is a crime and going to the FBI is always like a great option. Okay. Well, I feel a little bit better about it. I don't have a smart home technology yet. And I'm a little apprehensive about talking to my cell phone to tell it to do things because <laughs> I don't know what, you know what it's thinking or that kind of thing. So uh, uh, maybe I'm just a little bit paranoid, I guess. <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> yeah, I think if anything, the survey definitely kind of reflected what we thought, which is that there are like people are pretty paranoid about some of this technology, maybe more even than we thought. Well, really appreciate uh, the interview. Awesome. Thank you. Us too. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Victoria Marinda, researcher, and Andrea Harvey, research and communication specialist for asecurelife.com, talking about their survey of consumers and how consumers feel about smart home technology. Next, an FBI agent is urging businesses to watch out for hackers right after this break. Bring your finances into the 21st century with a My Checking account at Nationwide Bank, powered by Axos. My Checking is designed so you can bank on your terms. 
This account offers unlimited domestic ATM fee reimbursements, no monthly maintenance fees, and no minimum balance requirements. Nationwide Bank offers Direct Deposit Express, so you can receive your paycheck up to two days earlier. Plus, there's a free app so you can bank on your phone no matter where you are. Open a new My Checking account at krobcollection.com and receive $20. If you are a new Nationwide or Axos Bank customer and deposit $500 into your account within 90 days. Nationwide is on your side with a $20 gift for opening a free My Checking account powered by Axos. Get full details at krobcollection.com. There's a business email scam spreading around the world, and the FBI is warning companies to alert their financial and accounting managers because crooks are targeting their bank accounts. FBI Special Agent Brian Smith is on the line to tell us how this scheme works and what to look out for. So we call this business email compromise, uh, BEC for short, and this is a scheme that we've been seeing, I guess, for probably about four to five years, and it's certainly something that we've been seeing across the country uh, and across the globe. We see these actors targeting a whole host of potential victims, uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're a small mom-and-pop operation, a mid-sized business, a charitable organization, a nonprofit, a Fortune 500 company, a government entity, a university, a school. Uh, you name the type of entity, and they have been targeted uh, for this activity. Now, for folks who are just uh, uh, waking up to this kind of scam, explain how it, how it works. Certainly. So business email compromise uh, really takes advantage of situations where you have companies or entities that are involved in wire transfers. Um, and these are you know, wire transfers that are in the everyday course of business. Uh, something that they do legitimately and usually on a routine basis. And what they do is they get in between uh, the transaction um, and essentially get the victim company to send a wire transfer not to the intended payee, uh, which may be a vendor or supplier that they interact with, but to the third party or the bad guy who has opened up an account. Um, They do this two different ways. One, they will spoof an email, um, and that is a situation where they will, you know, maybe look at the entity that you're trying to send, you would normally send a wire transfer to, and they'll change something small in the email address, maybe replace an L with a 1. And so you think that you're dealing with uh, an entity that you're, it's a trusted relationship and you work with them all the time, and they'll instruct you to send a wire transfer to a different account than you would normally do so. Um, So that doesn't involve any sort of intrusion. It just takes advantage of, you know, the fact that we're all very busy in our daily lives. We have lots of things to do, and sometimes we don't notice those little details like maybe the email address actually changing on us. Absolutely. The second way that they do it is via a computer intrusion. And so they will, in some fashion, uh, usually via spear phishing campaign, will gain access to 
the victim company's internal email system. Uh, once they gain access to it, they will then identify who are the individuals who have the authority to execute the transactions and identify the individuals who can authorize the transactions. And they will take over one of those email accounts. And when the individual, you know, typically it's the individual who authorized the transactions. And when they are ready to initiate their scheme, they will send instructions to the accounts payable clerk to initiate a wire transfer to a specific account. Um, and at that point, then it goes to an account that they control. Um, usually, uh, it's in the U.S. And then from there, that account will then forward the money to an account overseas. Now, in the first instance, uh, when when a company is uh, pretending to be someone, uh, you know, when the scammer is pretending to be someone they're not, like you say, a, a, a company or a corporation or, or organization may be doing business with a firm, and then someone uh, sends an email uh, that you, you you say is slightly different and you don't notice it because everybody, you know, a lot of companies receive hundreds, maybe thousands of emails a day. And, you know, it's easy to overlook and not pay close attention to each one of those emails because everybody has so much work to do. In that instance, people have to be on guard. They have to watch very closely where those emails are coming from, right? That is correct. Uh, again, they take advantage of the fact that we're all very busy um, and we have lots of things to do. Um, and so there's an assumption of trust that when we get an email, it's from the person who purports uh, to be who they say they are. Um, so one of the things that we are recommending, and really this is in both instances, is that you find some other way to authenticate the transaction. Um, so a dual-factor authentication. And I think a lot of us are familiar with that with our banking, that we maybe get a text on our cell phone. Um, but we recommend in these instances that if you see a change in the account number that you're supposed to send the wire transfer to, that you engage in some other conduct outside of the email system, whether that's a phone call, whether that's walking down the hall, to ensure that that's actually what the individual wants. Um, some entities have just responded back to the email to authenticate it, but in those instances, you're just dealing with the bad actor on the other end, or they'll call the phone number that's maybe in the signature line on the email, but again, you're actually speaking with the bad actor. So we recommend that you do it outside of the email system and use trusted phone numbers, contact information that you have from previous relationships. So use the, uh, the contact information you have from maybe when you initiated the, the business transaction. And if someone asks you to uh, change the way you wire money or wire funds, uh, just don't act on that. Investigate that and con go back to the original contacts. That is correct, yes. This is not an instance where you know they are not hacking into the individual's bank account. They're just trying to get you to send it to a different account. So if you recognize that any change requires some scrutiny, you'll be a step ahead of these individuals. Now, in the second instance, you mentioned intrusion. That's a little bit more sinister, isn't it? It is, um, because once they're on the network, they have access to one. They can change the routing information for these. But then anytime you've got an intrusion, you're now susceptible to other information that may be uh, dropped onto your system and access to other files that you wouldn't want an adversary to have access to. Now, how do you prevent that from happening? 
some of it's the same way. Um, and so it's, you know, certainly if you're trying to prevent wire transfers, you use some of the same steps that I mentioned before. But the other thing that you can do is, you know, we recommend, one, that everybody has antivirus on their systems. Um, it's not going to catch everything, but at least it's some measure of defense. Um, these actors are taking advantage of information that we're putting out uh, to the public, uh, and it may be, you know, we're reporting on travel activities of our executives, conferences that they're speaking at, and so they will use that information in their email to the internal employee and let them know, you know, the CFO is speaking at a conference in Atlanta. Um, before I get on the plane, I want you to initiate this wire transfer, and all of that information is true. And so the person receiving it, it gives some legitimacy that this is who they're actually dealing with because the individual is actually engaged in that activity. What they forget to recognize is the fact that that's information that we've put out to the public. And so these actors are looking at press releases. They are looking to see when contracts get awarded. And so that's when they, they use that to their advantage, and that's when they, you know, put that information in email to give legitimacy to what they are doing. So they use a, a phony email, an email that, that they created to, to kind of pretend to be an entity that they're not, based on public information. Correct. So they use that to initiate the wire transfers. And then a lot of times they're using information that we put out in our social media to gain that unauthorized access. And that's in the BEC scheme as well as a host of other cyber intrusions is they will take advantage um, of what you put out there on your Facebook, on your Instagram, of your interests, and they will tailor an email directly to you based off those interests because you're more likely to click on that as opposed to maybe one of those old Nigerian email schemes uh, with the inheritance of the oil money. Wow. So we have to be very careful, not only as individuals, but as uh, businesses and organizations, uh, about the information that we make public and that we put out. That is correct. Um, you know, it's important to recognize, you know, and individuals and companies, some of these things, they may want to put that information out there. Um, but what we have to recognize is that information can be used against us. And so we need to come up with other processes um, and manners to authenticate that doesn't rely upon that sort of information or allows us to make sure that this is indeed the person that we, we're, we expect that we're talking to. This has to be kind of uh, troubling because it's, 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 it's difficult uh, to, to be a watchdog on, on so many of these different levels when it comes to intrusion, isn't it? It is, and you know, it's, it's tough uh, you know, on entities. Um, it's tough on individuals. Um, they are targeting individuals these days, and so all of us need to be mindful um, and recognize that this is not just an IT problem, that we can just assume that the IT folks will catch this at the door. We need to remain vigilant in what we're doing. Um, we have seen, as I mentioned before, we've seen instances where we have losses of $5,000 up to multi-million dollar losses in these types of schemes. So anyone can get hit with this. Now, are these becoming more prevalent all across the, the nation? I, I think we've seen, I don't know what the exact stats are recently, um, we certainly have seen an increase over the last four to five years in this. I don't know if it's plateaued at this point. Um, we can try and get some additional uh, stats for you. Um, but 
it is, we certainly are not seeing it decreasing. Sometimes we see, you know, people are becoming more mindful and careful, and so we see more instances of that people reporting when they've been attempted, but they stopped it, um, which we appreciate. You know, one thing, you know, we want to make sure that people understand that if you do get hit with this, your initial response, you, you should definitely call your bank, try and stop that wire transfer, um, because what we want to do is prevent the loss. Second thing is we recommend that you contact law enforcement. Um, you know, and whether that's the FBI or local law enforcement, we recommend that you contact somebody. Um, if you catch this, um, we recommend that you contact us as well. Um, we have a website, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, which is ic3.gov. And we recommend that if you do stop one of these, you provide the information to us about the attempted uh, BEC so that we can then put that together and use that data to hopefully go after these individuals and put them in, in, into a larger case. IC3.gov. Correct. Okay. Any idea who these actors are, if they're domestic, if they're foreign? Uh, I guess they could be anywhere. They can be. Uh, there are certain other individuals within the United States that are engaging in this, um, but we see a lot of activity that goes overseas. Um, and so these, you know, these organized crime groups, uh, and that's what they are, is organized crime groups engaged in this activity very often are operating overseas, which adds some complexity to addressing it. Any countries seem to be a hotbed of this kind of activity? Uh, we're not at liberty to discuss, discuss that at this point. Okay. I would imagine it's, a, <laughs> it's very tough. You know, it's something that not only crime syndicates can get involved in, but, you know, kids who have a lot of idle time and a powerful computer can, you know, try to do this kind of stuff too, right? Yes. Unfortunately, it, this does not uh, require a huge capital investment in order to engage these types of things and really doesn't require a lot of uh, sophistication. Um, it just requires a lot of time. And again, uh, watchwords for... Uh, individuals like us and, you know, corporations, uh, organizations, anybody who's doing wire transfers, what should they keep top of mind? One, if you're engaging in wire transfers, um, you should make use some sort of dual authentication. Um, do not trust the email system um, as convenient as it is. Um, question any changes that are in the account. Um, and if you do get hit with something, make sure you're, you're reporting it immediately to try and stop uh, the flow of those funds. Really appreciate uh, the interview. All right. Well, thank you, sir. FBI Special Agent Brian Smith telling us about the Business Email Compromise Scam, or BEC. It's spreading around the globe. Make First Trade your first choice when it comes to investing. I've been using First Trade for years, and I love the fact that you free yourself from commissions with $0 online trades, and there's no hidden fees. You get a full suite of products. You can trade stocks, ETFs, options, fixed income, and over 11,000 mutual funds. And here's the part I like best. I can trade on the go. Seize opportunity no matter where you are with First Trade's Android and iPhone mobile apps. So keep those commissions in your wallet and maximize your gains by making First Trade your first choice for investing. Get more information from krobcollection.com and get free stock market trading with First Trade. First Trade 
your first choice for free stock trading. Sign up today at krobcollection.com. Our transition music is by H Beats, who can improve the quality of any presentation. That's H Beats with a Z at the end. See how H Beats can improve your presentation with a quality musical soundtrack. Contact hbeats330 at gmail.com. Well, we just heard from the FBI, but now there's some concern about technology that law enforcement is using to track our vehicles. Many police departments are using license plate scanners. They're mounted on police cruisers, and as officers drive by vehicles, the scanners can detect if that person has overdue tickets, warrants, or even if the car is stolen. The American Civil Liberties Union wants regulations governing the use of these scanners. The ACLU's Mike Brickner tells us why. Unfortunately, this is kind of par for the course with how the government oftentimes looks at new technology is they, uh, they, they release the new technology, they install them in our police departments or in our schools or on the street, and they don't really come up with the rules for how they should be used. And it's not until there's some really you know, gross violation of someone's privacy to then we go back and actually uh, fix the problem. Backers say that uh, these these scanners will only activate or trigger an investigation if it appears the uh, plate matches a, a vehicle that may have been involved in a crime or had been stolen. Your thoughts on that? Well, so certainly these automatic license plate readers can uh, be helpful for law enforcement, just like any other piece of technology can be helpful, whether you're talking about, um, you know, DNA testing or facial recognition or uh, uh, cell phone tracking, you know, all of those could be used for legitimate law enforcement purposes and, and could actually help uh, protect public safety. However, they can also be abused. And uh, ju just as we may have uh, uh, officials who are telling us that it's only going to be used for one specific purpose now, we've seen uh, throughout history where an idea was uh, implemented and later on it morphed into something else. And so without having those protections and those regulations to say, we're only going to use this for this one specific purpose, and we're going to have accountability and transparency around it. We don't know if in six months or a year or five years, if that is going to change and it's going to violate you know, innocent people's uh, privacy rights. Now, what's your, your biggest fear of, of abuse of this technology? What do you think would be the worst that could happen to average citizens? We actually did some records requests to those uh, police departments that are using them um, a couple years ago. And what we found is that most of the police departments were scanning in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of license plates a day. And all of that information was going into a database. And most of those law enforcement agencies would keep that information forever. And so, you know, you're creating this database that essentially tracks people's movement and that 
Um, you know, if, if you have multiple license plate readers set up, you could get scanned dozens of times in a single day. And it could be very easy for the government then to be able to take that data and essentially figure out what your movements are during the day. And, you know, are you going to go visit a therapist? Are you going to go to your AA meeting? Are you going to um, uh, your girlfriend's house that your wife doesn't know about? Or uh, all sorts of things that, you know, we might not want to have broadcasted. Um, you know, the government could use that information for uh, uh, really negative purposes. And so, again, making sure that there's um, retention schedules, that data is only kept for so long, if it's not connected to um, a criminal investigation, that we can get rid of that, and also ensuring that the government can't um, fall victim or start to use uh, mission drift and start looking into other things other than what we're uh, wanting to use these automatic license plate readers for. And I guess uh, you mentioned the places people could be going. People could be going to a political meeting. Or, or... That, that's exactly right. Yeah, that, that this could also be used to um, uh, chill people's First Amendment rights, that if you are going to um, a, a, uh, a, an organizing uh, party for um, a political candidate, or if you're going to um, a, a meeting uh, espousing a specific uh, position, um, you know, the government could use that uh, against you. And, you know, we've seen that over the years um, in other contexts where, you know, the federal government has um, spied on um, activists. And, and we've seen that, you know, for a variety of different political beliefs as well. Um, so whether it be um, uh, a, you know, President Trump in office, um, some people may trust him with uh, having access to that information. But uh, then if the administration changes in five years or 10 years or 20 years, um, we may have different presidents and different governors and different county executives in power. And so once we grant that power, um, it can be used to um, spy on people, to discourage um, their political uh, ideology and participation, and, um, and and need to have protections in place. So you mentioned all the information goes into a database. What if what if that database is hacked? Well, exactly, and we've seen where you know cybersecurity is a major issue, um, where you know North Korea. Uh, uh, hacked into uh, Sony a couple years ago. We've had um, issues where, you know, the DNC and the RNC have been hacked, where the federal government has been hacked. And so, again, when you're creating these types of databases with just more information, you have um, a, a lot of potential for then that information to be stolen or misused by outside agencies, but also even by um, law enforcement. Again, when you don't have guidelines around who has access to it, we've seen other instances where you've create where we've created databases, and a law enforcement officer then uses that database um, for. Uh, a, a different reason, like if they have an ex-girlfriend that they're wanting to figure out where she moved to or whatever, that they'll use the database to try and find that. And so there's hacking concerns, there's misuse by law enforcement. And so, again, creating these databases can be really troublesome. And that's why you need to have retention schedules to purge the data that you don't need and also to ensure that only certain people have access to it and that that data is protected that you do hold on to. Well, very good. Mike Brickner of the American Civil Liberties Union. Now, let's have some fun with technology. A high school robotics team in Ohio 
has won a major award. Brexville Broadview Heights High School Robotics is celebrating an amazing accomplishment. One of their teams has won the Excellence Award competing at the VEX Robotics World Competition in Louisville, Kentucky. The Excellence Award has been achieved by only nine other teams ever worldwide. Robotics coach Craig Kowatch joins us now. Was it a tough competition? Um, yeah, of course it was really tough. Um, you know, there's over 40 different countries that were represented there. Um, the year starts out with 24,000 teams, and at the World Championships, there's approximately 580 teams that are there, and uh, you compete against them. Pretty technologically advanced, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, you know, the the kids, it, there's no kits involved. It's basically what we do is we play a game, and the kids have to design a robot to play that game. And you're paired up with another team, and you uh, are not quite sure who that team is until the event. And then uh, you, you compete with them um, in matches. You've got a different partner for all your matches, so you we had 11 matches and then you went into a tournament format the excellence award that's what we won that is given to the overall best team um and that's figured out with how you do in skills how you do in the tournament plus also there's engineers from all over the world that interview you and um you have an engineering notebook that ends up being um figured in also and uh, our kids end up going through five interviews. Some of the people that interviewed them you know, are engineers from MIT, you name it, just about every big company, Google, all different, IBM. They, they all were had engineers there interviewing, and uh, they, they really test the knowledge of your kids and the interviews and making sure that they really know what they're doing. Those were the judges, right? Yeah. Wow. You had some, I bet you had some pretty tough judges. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you know, I did have one that ran into me after the interview, and you know, he, he, he said, "Your kids, uh, you know, they they knocked it out of the park. They were really good. They they know exactly what they're talking about." So, what what did you have to do to? I mean, that sounds pretty uh, pretty rigorous. What 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 did you do to seal the deal to to win that award? Um, well, I I think the big part is um you know it, it's an overall you know accomplishment how you do and everything you know and with the process you you hope that what goes down in paper will become reality in the arena when you're competing and i can't imagine what it would take to uh, build a a robot for the right situation how how do you go about doing that well what they do is they when they find out what the game is cuz um, this past Saturday, they found out what the game is for next year and the process. So our season is, you know, 365 days a year. Um, they start, they, uh, they look at the game, they dissect it, you know, they figure, okay, what, what are the major points that, you know, they have to score with, um, you know, and then they start looking at, okay, well, how, how many different ways, you know, as a group, we'll, we'll sit down with our team and our our team is comprised we have uh over 40 members on our team um as a whole but there are we have seven teams within our school so they're they comprise of five six kids usually um per team 
And what we do at the beginning is we sit down as a whole group and we, you know, we, we look at what, what they think can be the possibilities of, you know, what type of box, how can we score, what, what sensors might we need, um, all that. And kind of, you know, it's one of those things where you, there's no dumb ideas. You throw them all and you see what's going to stick to the wall. And uh, we come up with a lot of different ideas and then we break into our teams and they decide what, you know, type of bots they want to actually build. From there, you know, it's a process of going to, you know, once it's built, they go to local tournaments and see how they do. And um, the the neat thing is with Vexor Robotics is that at the beginning of the year, you may not be where you want to be up at the top, but you can work and work at it and work at it. And towards the end of the season, um, hopefully your bot's one of the best ones out there. Uh, this past year, we were fortunate enough that we, just about every tournament we went into, we had teams that were either winning it or they were, you know, in second or, you know, up towards the top. Absolutely. Now, where where are the students uh, uh, going to go next? I mean, as far as uh, this knowledge that they have here is, is very special. Uh, where will um, they take them? Well, you know, most of the kids that we have, they, they're all – it's engineering, um, one way, some shape, form. Um, we happen to have students that are, you know, going to Ohio State. We've got them all over the country, really, now. Um, from our, we, we've only been in robotics for five years, and, uh, you know, it, it's really paying off. Uh, we've got several students that, because of our um, robotics, they've gotten, uh, full-ride scholarships. For kids who uh, may be hearing this and maybe they hadn't thought about uh, maybe joining a robotics team or getting involved in robotics, maybe they're kind of young, how do they get involved? How do, how do they uh, decide, that, you know, if they can do this, if it's something they'd like to do? You don't have to be super smart or anything else. Um, you, you can you can be, if you're willing to work hard, it, it, you're willing to uh, step up your game. And there, there's a spot on every team for... Um, somebody might be a really good programmer. Somebody might be a better builder. Somebody might be, um, a lot of our drivers are kids that, to be honest, they're, they're really good at video games. Their hand-eye coordination are really good. They're able to, uh, um, see things really quick and pick things up really fast. And, um, their driver teams is they're they're communicating, you know, they, they listen and they're able to do what their teams are telling them to do in a split second. Um, we have others that they, they're great at scouting. So, you know, they'll see what teams are out there and, um, be able to give the driver teams, you know, the information that they need to succeed. So, uh, you know, there's all different types of, uh, parts of a, of a team. And that's what's really neat is, you know, you, you need a little bit of everything. You can't just have, you know, one person that's going to, you know, be very dominant it's definitely a, a team process um as far as you know if you're young and you want to get into it there are a lot of schools that have uh vex robotics starting um you know just in ohio there's over i think 540 teams um that have vex robotics there's clubs out there that take from different schools we happen to be Brexville, broadway heights city schools and 
you know, we, we only have kids from our school district, but there are teams out there that definitely uh, you could join. Well, very good. We certainly want to congratulate you on uh, what a wonderful showing and uh, best of luck in the future. Craig Kowatch of the Brexville Broadview Heights, Ohio High School Robotics team, which won the Excellence Award competing at the VEX Robotics World Competition in Louisville, Kentucky. This is an amazing accomplishment because it's only been achieved by just nine other teams ever worldwide. And that's Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe to our podcast channel, The Ken Robinson Shows.